Welcome to the secret life of cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Welcome to the secret life of cookies. First, before we bring on our esteemed guest and fellow New Jerseyan, woohoo, let's go Garden State. I want to thank you all for listening and ask if you do appreciate what we're doing here at The Secret Life to please, if you will, leave a positive review on the Apple podcast site, because that's just the kind of thing that feeds a podcast's ego and also helps us thrive. So I would appreciate it very much if you could do that. And now, this week, and what a week it's been in D.C. and New York and Georgia, well, we have Ellie Honig with us, CNN's senior legal analyst. And I promise by the end of this episode, you will have complete clarity about what's going on. And just be warned, there is a pretty disgusting discussion in which we imagine Senator Kevin McCarthy kissing Trump's ring. You may not want to eat while listening, but we kid. Anyway, on with the show and the cheesy biscuit. We have Ellie Honig here today who has consented now to be recorded. And we're very (laughs) proud of that. Welcome, Ellie Honig, to The Secret Life of Cookies. It is a pleasure to have you here. Marissa, thank you for having me. This was really fun. I don't want to startle your listeners, but this one took a sad turn. And we're going to have to do a little bit of forensic pathology or (laughs) autopsying on how I screwed this up so bad. That's why we're here. I think we would be misleading to our listeners and ourselves if we thought that good things always came out of the oven because they yes, don't. <laughs> exactly. And let me say just for my own like cooking backgrounds, which maybe we can get into, but I consider myself a good to very good cook, chef, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. cook, not chef. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and I, I worked in food service all through my teenage college years. I cook for my kids, my wife, my family, like four or five nights a week dinner. I'm good at that. Baking, however, I don't vibe with baking or baking doesn't vibe with me. Like, I think it's, I think it's like my wife's theory is like, it requires too much instruction following for me to handle. (laughs) And uh, that was proven with my attempt. (laughs) There's a big part of me that always wants to dissuade people of that thought. You know, okay. I, I have, I have a feeling it's a little bit like, you know, like if you approach a horse and you have, and yeah. you're nervous, the horse knows yes. if you approach your oven and you're nervous, I think it's very similar. The totally. butter is going to react badly. The same thing with computers. If you know, you have something <laughs> that's due right away, your computer suddenly crashes. I agree with you. It's, it's a, it's a scientific thing where they can sense it. And whether it's my, <laughs> the blender or the butter or the oven, somehow they sense this guy's scared. This guy does not have his bearings. Let's punish him. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so he'll never misuse butter again. But I'm here to. We're here yes. to solve a lot of problems. We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. So we're going to talk about. I had you bake one of my favorite things. I'm showing everybody at home because oh. this is in your ears and not in your eyes. I'm showing a long, uh, maybe about 10 inch cylinder of dough that is a um, beautiful orangey red. Orangey yellow because it's a cheddar cheese biscuit dough. And I rolled it, I don't know, about yeah. an inch and a half wide, maybe. It's a very, it's very simple, sir. And I it know. has it's cheddar cheese, it's butter, it's flour, and, and 
some, I put everything bagel spices in it. You could put smoked pop. There's so many things you can do that I think would appeal to your sensibility as a devil may care chef. (laughs) So you've already answered one of my questions by holding up that exhibit, which was, so so let's, let's explain sort of how this came about. First of all, because I said to you, I'm really more of a cook than a baker. You said, well, we'll, we'll do something savory then. By the way, I should footnote, I have a monstrous sweet tooth. So I love like, oh man, next time. I mean, I could have, you know, well, but eating it and cooking it or baking it are different things, but I can eat like stunning amounts of cookies and rugula or whatever, whatever you may have. I mean, Elliot's (laughs) rugula, I told him like, I I wanted to like roll around in them in the photo that he put up. Um, (laughs) Be be rolled, be rolled into one. Yeah. 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 However we could work it out, but something involving me being very, (laughs) very involved. Closely associated. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we did this recipe and we're going to figure out where I went wrong. But my first thought was, did I not understand the shape or size that this roll is supposed to be? Because when I rolled it out, according to your instructions, so first I put the stuff in the blender and it clumped. I think I got to the point of clumpitude, as you recommended. Um, We prefer prefer the phrase clumpage. (laughs) Clumpage. Okay. Clumpage. Yeah. So I put, it was, like you said, it was, it was cheddar cheese. It was flour. It was, I got the everything bagel spice and uh, butter. One thing that was a little bit ambiguous that I may have messed up was rosemary because you you sent me two options. You sent me option, recipe option A, recipe option B. Recipe option A did not say rosemary in the ingredients list, but recipe option B did. But the instructions for recipe option A said add rosemary. So I did. I don't know. I don't think that delicious. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then as I, so I, it clumps up in the, in the blender, which is, as you say, that was what it should have been. So I was like, oh yeah, that looks, that's clumpy. That's what we need. And then I rolled the logs. But as I did that, as I rolled the logs, I thought this, this isn't right. This is too thin and narrow. It was like this, it it was what you just held up. I'm trying to think how to describe it for your viewers, Uh, like a cylinder, like a very, like a, maybe like bratwurst size. Yeah. Or like a churro, a a big churro. It's a big churro. And I thought this is weird because we're going to slice it every, I think your instructions at half inch or quarter. I was like, this is good. These are going to be tiny. How's this going to work? So anyway, but I did have the right shape, although it was not that color. (laughs) The color, your color is a delicious golden looking. Mine was like a sad gray looking. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so we can start with that. Okay. And the, pro- how did they taste? Terrible. Oh. Um, <laughs> because, but, but part of that is because I burned them. Like I sent you a photo and I yeah. flipped up, I flipped them up so you could see the, that I burnt the bottom, but like. Peter, he did burn the bottom. It's I did. We, we'll maybe like, we'll post my, my photographs of my horrible product, you know, with this episode or, or on Twitter or something, but they ended up looking like, and maybe tasting like, although I don't know. Exactly. But they definitely look like burnt rabbit turds. So I don't know. It could be one way. Yeah. Describing it. Um, I don't know if I like. So after I got the log, I sliced the log every half inch or so or whatever, whatever it said in your recipe. But I was like, wow, each thing was like the size of a quarter, but like a fat quarter. Yes. Okay. That's that's good. (laughs) Okay. So I still haven't messed it up yet. So then I put it on the baking sheet and stuff. I definitely overcooked it. Hence the burning. I must've like forgot, you know, been, dist- I'm easily distracted. 
But I was like, am I supposed to mash these down? Because usually cookies, like when you put them on the sheet, they're kind of flat already, right? Depends on the cookie. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I definitely overcooked them, but they came out hard as rocks and burned. And that because of that, the taste was all off. And I don't know if the rosemary was supposed to be in there or not. And I must have not put enough cheese in or something because yours were this beautiful, cheesy color. And mine were just, like I said, like the color of like, like slate, nothing appealing. Oh my God. I I want (laughs) um, listeners to know out there that I have had, (laughs) that strangers have baked this recipe and it turned out just fine. So <laughs> I don't want to take all the blame. I won't, I'm not, I, I let's no, work through what the I take was. all the blame. You take none of it. <laughs> so there was an issue with my editing of the recipe and it has been corrected about the rosemary. Oh. So oh, okay, um, yeah. I teach journalism, my local university here, Montclair state. And I spend, I don't know, a good 15 minutes of every class going, you must proofread, you must proofread. The most important thing you must do is proofread. Everyone needs an editor. And yet, I don't always proofread well, which it exactly proves to my students that, yes, you do need an editor. Someone else needs to read your copy before it goes out. Even for your Twitter DMs. (laughs) Probably even most for my Twitter DMs. My concern about what happened to yours is I think my thought, my um, Quincy ME sort of analysis is you overcooked them. Yeah. I I mean, that has to be. The gray color concerns me in that I wonder, did you use gray cheese? I did use white cheddar. No, I used, I used yellow cheddar. Um, I used pre grated yellow cheddar. Um, Ah. Yeah. That's okay, but it adds another ingredient to it. And when you use pre-graded, and that was one of the things I thought about in the middle of the night because I was worried all night long, (laughs) is that they use like cornstarch and things to keep it and other ingredient to keep it from clumping or going moldy. That's interesting. Okay. And I think I will put that amendment, I will make sure, put a note, the LA Honig note (laughs) in my, with my recipes to say, please, don't don't use shredded cheese use grind it up yourself because you're already using yeah. the cuisinart anyway to chop it up right like you're already dirtying one thing it's only right. one more thing and can i tell so, you what my instinct was by the way which is why i tend to fail at baking when i try it which is <laughs> i always look at things and think oh that sounds like a delicious ingredient why don't i do more of it like i think it translates in chocolate chip world right if you're making totally. chocolate chip cookies right you can mm-hmm. add like i would always like just double any chocolate chips. But for the cheddar cheese, I will say my wife, who's not a cook, but a good baker, was kind of like, you know, in the area. And I said, I think I'm going to add a little more cheddar cheese. And she was like, don't, 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 don't. So I didn't. But I will say, by the way, another question I had for you to people who are novices, I was like shocked by this. Now, my wife was born in England, so she immediately knew the answer. But I said, how come like some of the measurements were like, a hundred grams, which is a half cup of this ingredient, and then 125 grams, which is one cup of that ingredient. I was like, why would that be? Wouldn't a hundred grams equals a half cup mean that 200 grams is a full cup? And apparently it is not, it is apples and oranges or, or more it, different than that. Yeah. Yes. It's apples and oranges because everything has a different uh, density and weight. And you can yes. be much more precise if you weigh things because I could have a cup, like literally a measuring cup here, that's one cup and it would come, I could weigh it on the scale and I would get, you know, 
125 grams, right. you may scoop a cup out from your kitchen and put it on the scale. And it might be a hundred grams because uh. your flour is more aerated. Be your cup. Right. May not your it's not like these things are calibrated at like the you know at the king's castle and it's like yes right. we have all it is the measurement <laughs> of the king's foot and it shall only be that <laughs> right exactly who knows so that's a problem and I'll bet sugar, you I had and sugar weighs more than white sugar weighs more than brown sugar and if I say to you lightly pack the brown sugar my light might be yours bam bam you know I, right so let me ask you this I didn't miss something right there was no sugar in this recipe. There was no sugar in this okay. recipe. Okay, because I looked recipe, at it like eight times. I was like, isn't there supposed to be sugar? Yeah, okay. <laughs> there's no sugar in this recipe. It has enough fat in it and apparently dog hair. I if see. you look really closely oh. at mine. Um, <laughs> thank you, Bosco. Um, <laughs> what Good it? for immunity. Yeah, pro- probably. And, and cleansing. It has enough fat in it that it really is it's savory. It's extremely tender. I right? see. I Oftentimes get it. you'll add sugar if you're making pie crust to make it easier for you to make because the sugar kind of gives you a little leeway to mess around with it. It, it keeps it from getting tough if you work it too yeah. much. Yeah, the sugar sugar, sugar actually would have been sugar would have been nasty in this now that I think about it. Like given that it was cheddar cheese, flour, butter, and and everything bagel seasoning and throw sugar in there, that would have been terrible. So yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I need to have you make these again? I'm going to start. I may try it again. Yeah, while, please. While we're talking, because along with there being some issues with baking today, we have there's a busy week. Oh my goodness! In, even <laughs> like the last 24 hours, we're sort of busy. One of the things I I try not to get too excited about busy weeks anymore, and <laughs> I kind of want. I think Benjamin Wittes used to do this where he would like have his little cannon. And when something important would happen, like with the Mueller report or something, it would be like, this is, we're, we're building up to it. And he would explode this little mini cannon that he had because to, to alert us that this was a real thing that I we remember should that. really pay attention to. And I feel we've all been a little bit whipped by, it's going to happen. Nothing's going right. to happen. Would you uh, say that anything that happened this week in the field of legalness um, yeah. which, or, or legalage or legaltude yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have any, like, uh, I could like look up a little bit from my cutting with some hope. Well, let me put it, let me put it this way. Hope for um, justice is what I'm saying. Hope for justice. I, uh, sure. I understand. Um, there were significant steps forward on basically all three major fronts that Donald Trump is facing right now. And all of them were significant developments but I'm not sure how much closer any of that got us to meaningful consequences. So let me let me sort of run through that. Right. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. First of all, the committee, the, the January 6th committee, Congress. Right. As has seemingly happened every week, a just a consistent drumbeat of stunning revelations. We already, I think, have a broad sense that Donald Trump, of course, was at the middle of this, of course, intended to upset the electoral vote count of course, did nothing while this happened. Of course, tried to sort of change history after the fact. Some of the stuff that came out this week was, I think, particularly damaging. The idea that his campaign, Rudy Giuliani, was at the center of putting together these fake electoral vote certificates. I mean, who could even make this up? Look, the committee's sending out letters all week. They subpoenaed Rudy. They asked Ivanka Trump to if she would testify. And 
I think I think the committee understands they're never going to get testimony from those folks. But in those letters, the committee is showing us and the public they have a lot. They have real insider testimony. They have really damning texts coming in and going out. Now, the biggest news, of course, on the congressional side, which is going to impact everything, is the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court rejected Donald Trump's executive privilege argument. So this is the dispute where the committee is trying to get Trump White House documents from the National Archives. Donald Trump put in a lawsuit saying, no, 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 because they're protected by executive privilege. Right now, Trump got destroyed in the federal district court. The judge, I think the line that stood out was the judge said, presidents are not kings and plaintiff is not president, which was like, ooh, a double burn. Right. <laughs> And basically that judge said he's the former president. He can't invoke executive privilege over the wishes of the current president. The Court of Appeals then heard the case and it was three to zero. All three Court of Appeals judges agreed with that. And then the the Supreme Court decided this week and they basically decided we're not intervening here. We're going to allow the documents to go over. It was an eight to one ruling. But what was really interesting about the Supreme Court's ruling is they actually did not reject Donald Trump on the basis of, well, you're the former guy, so you don't get to say. If anything, the Supreme Court seemed to hold the door open for, look, the former president could well have a legitimate interest in invoking executive privilege, but here, Donald Trump, you got nothing. And even if you were still in the Oval Office right now, you would lose because your executive privilege claims are bogus. And that's obviously important because the committee is going to get those documents, but it's also important because it really undermines the claims of Steve Bannon and Mark Meadows and maybe others that I don't want to testify because executive privilege. Right. Right. So it's not exactly on point. Each case is going to turn on the specific communications at issue. But the fact that Trump lost so, so clearly and decisively is going to really undermine their case. So that's Congress. My follow up is just to just just almost more of a footnote, which is Clarence Thomas. And uh, I just kind of like saying his name out loud because I woke up this morning to Jane Mayer's article in the New Yorker about yeah. Ginny Thomas. Oh my goodness. And yeah. It's um I so I recommend it to everybody. Once you're done baking, bake yourself some of these cheddar crackers um, and then sit down and dig into this article with like probably <laughs> a glass of something like stiff. It's an intense article. It basically says everything that you if if you knew a little bit about Ginny Thomas being deep into packs and um being behind the scenes and perhaps in January 6th, this sort of takes you there. So the fact that Clarence Thomas, I mean, coincidentally, didn't want to um, voted uh, was the only dissenting voice. It's, I mean, it's just it's just a coincidence. I, I, right. Just a, well, and it's crazy. If you do the math, if you add up all the judges, all the federal judges up to and including the Supreme Court, it was 12 to one. Right. The, the, the district court judge, the three court of appeals judges and then the eight <laughs> Supreme Court justices. And the one was Clarence Thomas. And by the way, the 12 who, who ruled against Donald Trump included five conservatives, Republican appointed, three of whom were Trump's appointees. So Clarence Thomas is really on an island there. The article is astonishing. Really, it almost seems to make the case that Clarence Thomas should be recused, meaning should be pulled off of any Absolutely. case. I mean, with any political anything, what's so damaging about this is we'll never know if Clarence Thomas in his head is actually being influenced in that or not. But the problem is this conversation itself, it undermines confidence in the Supreme Court, whether you love Clarence Thomas or hate him or or agree with him or disagree with him. You have to agree that it looks horrible and that matters when it comes to our courts, when it comes to prosecutors. If it looks terrible, 
you've lost public confidence, trust, legitimacy. And I think Jane Mayer's article just really, really drives that home. The other thing I want to highlight is <laughs> the Supreme Court justices are quite literally above it all, right? Yeah. There is a code of judicial ethics and conduct that governs recusal for all of our other federal judges, the mm-hmm. hundreds or thousands, you know, be, between all the courts of appeals judges and all the district court judges, they are bound by it. But the Supreme Court is not. And it's one of those things like the fact that senators can trade on stocks where you're like, how could this be? How could this be? But it is. So there's nobody who can tell Clarence Thomas, hey, buddy, you need to get off. Well, people can maybe his colleagues on the court can suggest it to him, but nobody can make him. So but look, if we can't if we can't make Mr. Gorsuch or Justice Gorsuch wear a mask, which was, you know, that's what I was concerned about at the beginning of the week. By the end of the week, I'm like, my God, Mr. Thomas, you need to recuse yourself. That's more. Yeah. But, you know, no one can make him and he's there for life. I mean, you know, we are seeing more and more that these Supreme Court nominations are in some ways more valuable than the presidency. I mean, the president gets to pick them, but we have justices who were now who were nominated four, five, six presidents ago. I mean, and and the, the interesting thing is. I think both parties are getting smarter for their own tactical purposes about putting younger and younger people on the court, right? Because in olden times, it was like, well, we need a distinguished, accomplished jurist. And that's probably going to be someone who's 72 years old and whatever. Now they're like, whoa, if we put a 50 year old on this, we're going to have this seat for 30 years. And if you look at the court's demographics right now, Mm -hmm. the oldest justice, Stephen Breyer, one of the three liberals, he's 83. The three youngest are the three most recent Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, and they're all between 49 and 55. So they're going to be together, barring, you know, health issues for 30 years. And I think the Democrats are seeing that if they get a chance to replace Stephen Breyer, I would bet you that their replacement is under 55. And works out regularly. Right, right. The other thing that's that's so interesting, a viewer actually pointed this out in an email to me, said when the Constitution was drafted in the late 1700s, creating life tenure, average life expectancy was, I forget the number, but like 44 years, like literally. And now it's 80. Of course, that earlier number was was skewed because infant mortality was was so high. But still, the point is like, maybe they didn't really expect people to hold these jobs for 40 years. Maybe they were thinking 10 or something like that, but we'd have to amend the Constitution. I think your point about um, people looking for the gray-haired person in their distinguished dotage is really yeah. what people were looking for. Do you think that it is a possibility? Because it's like the hot topic in my liberal enclave that I live in: <laughs> the idea of expanding the Supreme Court to include more people. Is that a is that a possibility, as we say in the food world? Um, my, oh, possibility! I get um, oh, my <laughs> my short answer is. Legally, absolutely, it can happen, but it's not going to. People think that nine justices is just written in stone, right? I mean, it's like, well, there's 18 holes in a golf course and there's nine innings in a baseball game and all that. So there's nine justices. No, actually, it's up to Congress to set that number. And it's been changed. It's been as low as five and as high as 10 over the years. How they ever landed on an even number, I would like to ask somebody. Like, guys, you realize we could have a lot of ties here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> However, <Not> smart. <laughs> right. But it has been nine since the 1800s. I forget the year off the top of my head. I want to say 1869 or something like that. But it has been nine since then. So in order to change that number, you would need a law passed. You would need Congress to pass a law. So here we are. You would need 
the House to pass it. You would need the Senate and you have, you know, your 50 50 split and not everybody's on the same page there on the Democratic Party. And then you would need the president to endorse it. Now, Joe Biden actually got himself into a little bit of a pickle in the campaign Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of calls on him. You need to expand the court. He is on record. He has been saying throughout his Senate career he's against that. And he said Mm -hmm. several times early on in the campaign, absolutely not. I think it's a terrible idea. One of the Democratic debates leading up to 2020, he said, I think it's a horrible idea. I think it leads to only bad things. Well, the pressure got to him and he started to hedge. And then you remember there was that period where he couldn't give a straight answer. Uh, Well, well. And then he ended up appointing a commission to study it, which is that's how you kill something. And the commission actually came out with their report a couple months ago. And it was like, nobody noticed it because it was just commission speak. Like, well, we recommend further consideration and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, they're not. I mean, it is a drastic move that is simply not going to happen. Certainly not with a 50-50 Senate with, with, you know, Manchin, Cinema, and others who, I think more than the two of them would probably not go along with this. Speaking of uh, our our fine um, senators and uh, Congress, you wrote a brilliant piece today. Uh, Is today the 21st? I have no idea. Kevin McCarthy, Um, yes. About (laughs) Kevin McCarthy. The many, when I was growing up in my nice Jewish household, we had a Christmas album that was by the Robert Shaw Chorale called <laughs> The Many Moods of Christmas. And um, as I read yours, all I could think of was The Many Moods of Kevin McCarthy. And <laughs> I would almost like you to read the piece because it was so good. But you, you talk Thank about you. the three different Kevin McCarthy's. And before we get into your article, you're a medical specialist, am I right? as well as a legal problem. Oh, like, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I can Google WebMD as well as anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I want to know if, and this is a sort of a two-part question, so bear with me. Um, do you think in the spot, you've heard of like flesh eating the disease, like, sure. you know, like the, the sort of bacteria. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was wondering if you had any sense if in Congress there had been recently a um an attack of spine eating disease <laughs> or uh, yeah spines never exist it's just sort of vestigial for a lot of these guys it's a great question and it, and it's interesting with kevin mccarthy because i i guess i i can't say who but i know somebody who has worked with mccarthy not for mccarthy but interacted mm-hmm. with him in congress and has said look i'm, I'm paraphrasing my anonymous source here yes. uh, but said basically like there are some members of congress who are just dumb Right. Like both parties or just some members of Congress who just just aren't that bright and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. But this person said, but Kevin McCarthy is smart and he knows what he's doing. Right. And, and, and they were this person was really disappointed because they felt like he was at least smart and a straight shooter. And he's just completely, completely sold that out. And that's sort of the point of my article that there are the three Kevin McCarthy's. There was immediately after January 6th, Kevin McCarthy, which had this moment of clarity saying the president is, is responsible. Then there was Mar-a-Lago, Kevin. Right? He goes down to Mar-a-Lago. I just, I wanted like a cartoon of Mar-a-Lago, Kevin. I, I definitely did have like <laughs> Malibu Ken in mind or something with that. Mar-a-Lago, Kevin, who goes down to Mar-a-Lago and kisses the ring. I actually wonder if he literally might have kissed the ring. And then, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't he? Um, and then he would. And then you have the one that, yeah, I mean, you have the one that emerges from Mar-a-Lago, which is. I think, as I said in the article, can I curse? Is this a cursing podcast? It's a, definitely a cursing podcast. Yeah, I Where said there's baking. There's cursing. Well, I don't usually curse in my writing, but I did this time. I said I said something like Kevin McCarthy, number three, has two defining features. He's ambitious as hell and he's full of shit. 
And he just- I, I, I wrote that down. It's <laughs> hell and full of shit. And I thought, you know, maybe you can wander your way down to K Street in Washington. And, you know, that might be a really good, very honest slogan for some like up and comers who are running I the like midterms. It. I like it. I like it. I can consult the- I tried to like figure out a way to say that without the swear, but it just didn't work. It had to be no, in there no, um, full of garbage or something. Yes, um, rubbish. Even and now he's right now. He's like, it was Nancy Pelosi's fault. The president has nothing. I don't know. You know, oh, he was asked, will you testify? Manu Raju, my CNN colleague, asked him months ago, would you testify? And he was very cocky. McCarthy he said, sure, sure. Um, it's like, no. So now he doesn't have anything to say. He doesn't want to testify. It was Nancy Pelosi's fault. It's political, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's completely been through the whole ringer and come out just almost in hostage-like fashion um, because he's terrified. He has the same, I don't think his, I don't think his motivations are all that mysterious. He wants to become speaker. He doesn't want to be primary. The same thing that keeps so many, so many politicians in place. So that's and he doesn't want, that we he have. doesn't want Trump to be a uh, speaker of the house. No. Is, people like to float that idea. And I, I just like, I just get overcome and like sweat and shudders and it's just, Oh, <laughs> uh, I just couldn't even imagine it. Um, I, I gotta tell you, I, I, I always wrote that off as like, Oh, come on, that'll never happen. But he does have, he does have support. And the thing that shook me was my friend, I think your friends pre and at pre Perora and, uh, and Joyce Vance, talked about it on their podcast and they're both very, very careful in what they say and very considered. And they both seem to think it was an actual possibility. I thought, Oh my God. Uh, okay. Maybe. And they laid out the case for why he might do it. And I was like, okay, I think I'm kind of convinced, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, the other thing that makes me shudder and now I can't ever get it out of my head. So I need you to draw me a picture of Mar-a-Lago Kevin is the <laughs> idea of people like the amount of drool on a ring that would be on <laughs> Donald Trump's hand. Let's just all <laughs> pause for a moment. Now oh. let's clear our brain. Let's clear our brain. I'm going to clear our brain because that is yes. such a revolting thought. I mean, like Marco Rubio has been on that ring. Anyway, I am turning around people and I'm turning around to my oven for a moment yeah. because I'm going to, I'm going to show a, a small trick that not everybody gets does, which is I'm opening my oven and I am turning the pan around. I have oh. only one pan cooking in there so I can keep it in the middle and you should only ever cook in the middle and if you use all three racks in your oven you should rotate them that is middle one should become the top the bottom one should become the middle and you have to do this a number of times or you will notice that the bottom will always depending on your oven my heat comes up from the bottom and the bottom one burns so this is something that I know and understand this principle from regular cooking, which is especially like with the broiler, right? You never know. Right. What, so you have to make sure you're sort of moving the thing around and quick. And yeah, it matters. Like for some reason, every oven has its own atmosphere or something like hot spots and cold <laughs> spots and whatever. Yeah. yeah. I did worry oh. about your oven, a living mate oven, perhaps being um, a little hotter than you think it is. It might be. It might be. Or, or. or so we have a theory that our oven actually you need to turn it like 25 degrees hotter on the knob. It's a knob. It's not like a digital. So like maybe we're wrong. Like, in other words, if you want 425, <laughs> you set it to 450. So maybe maybe it actually is properly calibrated and we are miscalibrated. Oh, boy, that's a deep thought for our time. <laughs> <laughs> I got some people top of that list. Um, do, you, do you use a silver baking pan? Is it like shiny silver or dark? So I use what I used to call a sheet pan. I don't know. It's yeah. like, yeah, like when I was a dishwasher, we would call it a sheet pan. But but 
so it was it's kind of like a like a flat with a little bit of like a half inch rim yeah. on each yeah but then i have a separate thing which i don't know what it's like it gets hotter it's like a brighter silver flat thing without the mm-hmm. without you know what i mean yeah i so, i think that yeah I just worried that you hadn't used a tarnished pan that was going to absorb more heat, like a darker pan oh. absorbs heat faster. That's all. Okay. Um, all right. It's interesting. <laughs> okay. So we can go back to um, the oh, yeah. world. I was watching MSNBC with all due respect um, last awesome. night. I, I, I go <laughs> back and forth. Um, and Adam Schiff was on Lawrence O'Donnell and okay. he said something that rather surprised me being a member of the January 6th committee. He was talking, or just being Adam Schiff, I think, really. He was talking about Fawnie Willis, the DA of Fulton County, who yep. did a big de- Who You want to like remind people what she did yesterday? Yeah. Um, so, so the district attorney, Fawnie Willis, um, asked the judges in her county for permission to open a special grand jury. Um, mm-hmm. Fawnie Willis, of course, is investigating potentially for crimes, Donald Trump's efforts to call Brad Raffensperger and to get Georgia to throw the election to him. The special grand jury really gives the DA a the ability to issue subpoenas, which is crucial. I'm actually shocked Mm -hmm. it took this long before she asked that. And B, to to examine documents and, and to request evidence and that kind of thing. And I guess I would say C, the other advantage to a special grand jury is they can sit for as long as you need. Typically, your grand juries are, are only sit for a month at a time and then they're out and you get a new grand jury. And also, typically, grand juries are hearing cases all day long, drug cases, gun cases, whatever. This grand jury will be solely focused on this case. So she's made that request of the judges. It's a big step forward, but it doesn't necessarily assure any outcome. And I should add, oddly, this special grand jury does not have the power to indict. Bonnie Willis says that in her letter. She says, but they may issue a prosecutorial recommendation, which I guess in which case, then Willis's office will get to consider it. And then if they do want to indict, they'll have to take it to a regular grand jury. So that's an overview of what happened. Will you help the legally deficient here? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do not have a degree in law. And my feeling was when I heard when Raffensperger um, released the recording where it's like Donald saying, I need 11,800 yeah, and true. I need yep. you to find these for me. Yep. At that point, I could have bust through the door. <laughs> in my like kid Spider-Man costume and been like citizen's arrest. Right. So that, that's, a, why that's can't a, I do, why right. can't I do it's that? a common reaction. And, and I think the use of the word find is quite telling there. Right. He's not saying, hey, secretary of state, you know, look, I, I just need you to make sure all the votes are counted. Count them again and again. I want to recount. Let's make sure we get this absolutely right. Let's make sure you're not letting anything fraudulent through. I mean, that would have pro- that would have been fine. But Finding And when you look at the whole entire conversation, it's obvious he's pressuring the guy saying, I need you to find. Now, the defense to that, if there was ever to be a charge, would be Donald Trump did not have the the necessary criminal intent because Donald Trump thought he won the election. And so he's allowed to argue for that. But I guess the counter response to that is like, let's use common sense. He didn't win the election. He obviously was trying to pull this everywhere. And you wouldn't say, I need you to find exactly one more vote than I need to win if you thought you had won the election. So, but that whole case is going to turn on, can you prove the criminal intent? And a lot of times when people, when it comes to Donald Trump, people go, oh, come on, of course, obviously. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and, And I'm kind of of two minds on that. On the one hand, 
juries and jurors are, are allowed to use common sense. Judges tell juries all the time, you are not to leave mm -hmm. your common sense at the door. On the other hand, you can't get up in front of a jury and say, come on, folks, like, let's get real here, right? You have to, you have to Damn prove it. your case beyond a reasonable doubt. And even if it's something everyone knows or is very likely the case, you still have to be able to show proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And by the way, the same thing applies to New York and Letitia James and, and the DA, mm -hmm. where, where maybe you were going next. And I was going to get there too, which is, it seems clear to me now that Letitia James has sufficient evidence that she will in all likelihood bring a civil civil lawsuit, meaning sue Donald Trump, maybe, or the Trump organization for money damages, maybe try to shut down the organization. But to me, it's, it's a very different question whether she or the DA will charge Donald Trump individually criminally, because you have to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he knew that they were inflating values, they were doing it in purpose, and they were, they were doing it to commit a fraud. And how, how do you prove that? How does a prosecutor right. normally prove that, right? We don't have magic mind reading machines. Intentionally eating machine. Yeah. Right. But what we do have is, yeah, what we do have is texts. We do have emails. We do have documents. We know Donald Trump doesn't text. We know he doesn't email. That's not going to happen. Sometimes you get a recording, a wiretap. You get someone wearing a wire. No evidence that that has happened or, you know, with mm -hmm. respect to Donald Trump. So that's out. The, the most common way is a cooperating witness, an insider who can say, yes, I sat with Donald Trump and he said for that golf course, Let's blow it up by five times the value because I want to get a bigger loan. Michael Cohen is trying to be that person, but yeah. he, let's remember he was rejected by the SDNY. They wrote a letter to his sentencing judge basically saying he, he's not been honest with us. So we're not going to give, you know, so <laughs> I have a hard time believing that the Manhattan DA will base a case on a star witness who a different prosecutor's office across the street has already said, no, he's, he's not. I mean, they can, they can try it, but it's a risk, right? Um, and I also don't know that Michael Cohen, who I know, by the, I've done his podcast and stuff. I, I don't know that Michael Cohen has specific enough information, because if you hear Michael talk about it, he'll go, oh, Donald knew everything that happened. But you have to be able to say, OK, the Seven Springs golf course. How did this all come about? The other thing to keep in mind why this is a tough, a tough charge is both sides of these transactions, their files are papered up. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm sure they are. In other words, Donald Trump applies to, let's say, Deutsche Bank or whatever big bank for a loan. Donald Trump is going, his file on his end yeah. is going to have letters from lawyers, accountants, appraisers saying, this is what we appraise it at. And Deutsche Bank for its end, they don't just take you at your word. They will have their people saying, yes, that seems legit. And by the way, another factor here is it doesn't appear the Trump organization ever defaulted on these loans, like put in the fraudulent representation, got these huge loans, made off with it, never paid it back. It appears they basically repaid them all. So you can still have bank fraud, you can still have fraud, but it makes it a less juicy case for a jury. So all of these are complications towards a criminal charge. Oh. Um. <laughs> Some reaction. <laughs> but I mean, again, it's important to understand the difference between you know, what a prosecutor has to prove in court and what we might just sort of talk, or talk about on Twitter or on a podcast about like, of course, somebody was involved. They could, they could get there. There's a chance they get there, but they would need specific proof. Right. The thing that struck me that Adam Schiff said yesterday oh, yeah. um, was he said I, he was surprised that the DOJ hadn't done anything about Georgia yet. And right. I, I wondered, one, what is his motivation for saying that? And two... Well, I guess that's really what I wondered. Like, was yeah. he hoping to spur them into doing something? I mean, 
he made, so, he, and then he, he spelled it out for them and mm-hmm. was like, you know, Trump tried to decapitate, you know, the DOJ and install right. somebody who, be- who believed, you know, in installing new electors for him. So this gets to a, to a bigger split that's out there on is DOJ doing enough or anything yeah. as it relates to real power sources on January 6th. And I know he did the indictment last week of Oath Keepers, which is which is important. And it was seditious conspiracy, which was a strong charge, I think, mm-hmm. overdue. And let's keep in mind, he's now charged 11 people out of 725 with seditious conspiracy. That's not all. He's charged way more with trespassing than that. But I do not buy into the, the, the immediate reaction that came out of that indictment of here you go. This is exactly what Merrick Garland said at all levels. No, no, no. That's not what anyone. Of course, he's going to charge the people who coordinated the attack on the, the Capitol directly, who said, let's get guns and boats and use this, this military formation. Of course, those people are going to get charged. Nobody, Adam Schiff is not questioning that. What Adam Schiff and others are questioning is, are we seeing DOJ in a meaningful way investigate Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon, you know, other people in that Willard war room? And I think what Schiff is saying, look, does Schiff have access to inside information? DOJ ideally wouldn't be sharing any of its information with Congress. Yeah. Does Schiff have access to inside information? I don't know. He certainly would know more than I would know. But I can say this much. There's not any public indication to me, meaning subpoenas, witness interviews, grand juries, charges, um, or media reporting, any one of which could capture this, that Merrick Garland is looking at the what I would call the sort of like white collar effort to obstruct justice here. The effort to steal the election, not separate and apart, you know, in other words, if he cannot link, let's say, Rudy Giuliani to say to, to an oath keeper saying, yeah, guys, you should get guns and ammo and bear spray and go in there. Right. Obviously, that's a charge. But what if there was never that kind of direct conspiracy or coordination? They're all picking up on the same vibe. Right. Then is that going to be enough for DOJ to charge? And I think the fear is, well, Garland's going to take the people who he has dead to rights, the people who physically stormed the Capitol. And that includes the oath keepers last week. But he's not shown any willingness or inclination to go beyond that to someone who wasn't physically present. And as big as the Oath Keepers indictment was, that's still quite literally at ground level. All 11 of those people were at the Capitol. One didn't go in. The boss didn't physically go in, but he's at the Capitol. So are we going to get into the Willard? Are we going to get into the West Wing? And I think what Schiff has been doing for months now is trying to pressure DOJ to do that um, by calling them out and saying, at one point he said something like, DOJ better not be. I hope DOJ is not waiting for us in Congress. That's one of the theories. Well, Garland's waiting for oh, DOJ. Right. But that Schiff knows that's a nonsensical theory. He was a prosecutor. You would never wait as a prosecutor. Well, let me let Congress call all my witnesses and get statements from them. No, you don't want that. So I think Schiff is trying to, yeah, pressure Merrick Garland to take a hard look at these people. It is possible Garland is doing that. It is possible he's building up to get there. But if his road to get them is they have to be linked in with this sort of hands-on violence of the Oath Keepers, he's never going to get there. I just I'm making sort of beginning to make whimpering sounds because uh, I hear that. <laughs> do you hear them? Um, yes. it's, it's very, <laughs> because nobody at home can see my face, the crestfallen look on my face. The thing that uh, Schiff mentioned last night was, you know, if Trump tried to affect the results of the Georgia election and said what he did mm-hmm. to Raffensperger, then really what's that's that's an, an, a, a federal offense. Yeah. As opposed to like, so like well, it's both it's, it's hooray for, yeah, it's hooray for Fonnie Willis doing what she's supposed to be doing, but yep. shouldn't this be looked at on a bigger, badder level? 
Well, he, he's right. It would violate both federal law and Georgia law if you were if you were trying to get a state official to count votes that weren't actually cast or to falsely certify the winner as A when B won. Um, those would be both federal and state crimes. And I think Adam Schiff's point is DOJ is better positioned to bring those charges, A, because they have way more resources um, mm-hmm. than, a, than a county district attorney, B, because you're talking about something that that has a national interest and isn't just That's sort right. of cabined to Fulton County and see, because there actually is a constitutional question about whether a county or state level prosecutor has the constitutional authority to charge a former president or even a current president based on the conduct, based on actions that were taken while in office. Now, so if Fonnie Willis ever does charge Donald Trump, the first move he will make is to get the charge thrown out. And people say, well, of course you have to like, all, right. Rule of law. No one's above the law. Of course, a DA has to has to be able to charge somebody for conduct relating to office. But the counter to that, I'll tell you the counter. It's actually interesting is, look, we have thousands of DAs in this country. And if it was the case and, and the vast or all of all DAs, I think, are elected. Most state attorneys general are elected. Let's think about it. Let's reverse the parties here. What if um, Barack Obama? had finished his term and some DA in a heavily Republican district in a very red state said, I'm going to indict Barack Obama over fast and furious, right? The, the, the scandal with the firearms and all that. Do we want that? Do we want to open the door to that? Now it's not, it's not both sides. It's not, you know, I, I get it. Barack Obama does not equal Donald Trump, but the thought here, let's take the Donald Trump's and Barack Obama's out of it. Do yeah. we want to empower very local county prosecutors or DAs, some of whom have tiny districts that are 90% blue or 90% red, do we want to give them the authority to indict whoever the former president is, again, pick your side, over things that he did in office? That, that would be the constitutional argument here. Wow, that's really, I never thought of that from that point of view, the idea that DAs, the idea of DAs doing it from uh, the uh, the political perspective, which is yeah. of course dim of me. Um, and then there, as I, you were talking, I'm like, well, maybe they should all be appointed. And I'm like, oh, that's just as political. It's better if the people are voting. <laughs> well, I just, um, I just discussed that with my class, my college class that I teach at Rutgers University, the State University <laughs> of New Jersey. Um, New Jersey. Yes, yeah. elected versus appointed prosecutors. Most state and county level. Well, like I said. Most state and county level prosecutors, state AGs and DAs are elected. In fact, New Jersey, little trivia question for you here, Marissa, as okay. fellow New Jersey. Uh, uh, okay. We are one of seven states that has an appointed attorney general. Every other state has an elected attorney general. So anyway, there's an interesting debate there over which is preferable. Which is preferable. I have been lucky in my 14 years as a prosecutor. I only ever worked for appointed Prosecutors, U.S. attorneys, federal prosecutors, mm-hmm. of course, are appointed. Uh, so I worked federally under U.S. attorney. And then at the state, I worked for the New Jersey state AG. So one of the seven that is appointed to me, it's already dangerous enough to have any kind of mixing of, of politics and prosecution. But you add into it campaigning and and, fi- don't, and monetary money. donations. I mean, yeah. when you sit in that room and you have to make some of the decisions that prosecutors have to make, they're already complex enough. If you had to also layer in maybe subconsciously. Also, the boss is running for re-election next year. How's this yeah. going to play? That to me right. is a recipe for disaster. So I'm I'm in the appointed is better camp. 
Yeah. Go Jersey. And that's just a, you know, <laughs> a lot of people, um, really enjoy Mary Trump. I'm talking to you about uh, defaming New Jersey as a place <laughs> and a state. And I just want to say for the record, as someone who spent years reviewing restaurants for the New York times in New Jersey, that we are an amazing state. That's all I have to say. And if you guys want to go hate on New Jersey, you can take it, drive right through the turnpike to Connecticut or wherever you want to go. God bless you. I know where the best pizza is and you, it's in New Jersey. Anyone who hates New Jersey is free to hate away and be a hater. We are more than confident in our own abilities, especially culinarily. Jersey people are a little cult-like. We, we love our state. We think we're the best. I won't debate it with anybody, but I will say culinarily, is there a state that has more range and quality than New Jersey, right? <laughs> right. People can't see this because like I remind you guys, you can't see it because it's a podcast. Yes, you are, you are pumping your fist. I two fingers <laughs> at I mean, Mr. Honig here. What state has a better combination of bagels, of pizza, of Indian food, of Greek diners, of, you know, soul food. Bajani food. Everything. Soul food. Yes. But it's not just like Indian food. You can go through the entire country of India in Edison, New Jersey. (laughs) Yes, you know, Every different region. Like we talk about Indian food. We talk about Chinese food, which of course, there is no one Chinese food. There is no one Indian food. Right, right, right. You know, going food is way different from what they're eating up in, you know, the Punjab. It, it's yeah. very different. And we have all of it here. You can take a trip through India. You can take a trip across China. Just down the road from me in, is a place in, in the in same Europe, shopping center. In the same. <laughs> exactly. I can go from Sichuan to to um, to the uh, northern area and get myself some great noodles with very wheat based Chinese food. Um, Shan Shan noodles, Persephone, New Jersey. So we digress, but I yes. just is to prove that the appointed AG is better because that's what we have in New Jersey. <laughs> that is, is that the yeah. way we round this conversation? Off? I, I guess in case of a tie, yes, whatever New Jersey does breaks the tie. So yeah. And, and we are a leading producer of blueberries. We're a leading producer of cranberries. Cranberries, um, yes. We're the home of, I, I don't know, I, I could really just go on. and new jersey is so good our water has the pharmaceuticals already in it (laughs) oh okay yeah from all i've been drinking it all my life Uh, i'm impervious (laughs) to disease yeah (laughs) exactly exactly i'm going to let everybody at home and you know that my crackers have come out of the oven oh yeah my kitchen i think probably smells better than yours did when you burned them (laughs) um can I it see? Smells, yeah, what here's one like? right now. It's, okay. They're buttery. Right. How did cheesy. they flatten out like that? Because mine, okay, when I cut mine, that looks delicious. When I cut mine, it was the shape of a Rolo, right? Remember, you know those candies? Yes, yes. Did I do it wrong? Yes, you did it wrong because I these mine were about this thick when I cut them. A little oh, bit. Okay. They only flattened slightly. I'm seeing what um, happened now, which is two things. One, my log was too thin. And two is I cut it. I cut the log too fat. So you know what I mean? Like yours look like the size of, I'm trying to think of a good example. Mine were the size, again, picture a Rolo. Yours Mm -hmm. are like the size of a silver dollar, maybe a little larger than that. That is a very different size and shape. And I think also, I think I feel like I now have adequately diagnosed what I did wrong. 
And the smell is good too. Like the other yeah. way that you cook is you cook with your nose yes. as well as um, uh, you cook, you listen. Like the first thing that I learned in cooking school about like searing food was that you put, when you put a steak into the pan, you listen for the applause. Ah, yes, absolutely. I'm also, you, I'm also big on touch. Like I will judge the doneness of my steak just by touching it with my finger or, or, or with a, you know, a utensil, you can tell like when to get it out of there. You can definitely touch. And do you know the fist touching? Yeah. You want it to feel like yeah. this part right here. I'm showing like the, like, the, 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 the fatty the part of, of the, your hand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the tighter you make your fist, the more well done. That's the way to well done steak. Well, it's like. funny because um, I, I, my, my background in cooking is like working in massive industrial kitchens, like at a <laughs> summer camp, you know, Jewish summer camp. And then I worked for a caterer. So I'm like, I got good at serving 450 people at what, not myself, you know, as part of a team, yeah. 450 people at once. And a lot of what you learn is like bad habits, just like mass producing everything, like massive grill, flip, 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 flip. <laughs> um, but you do pick up some basic techniques that I'm able to carry into my smaller kitchen now. That's great. And then you could also have a hundred people over to your house at some point yeah. and they'd all get well fed. Sure. <laughs> I would need different facilities, but yeah, absolutely. I could do it. Sure. <laughs> Scrambled um, eggs for everyone. <laughs> that's actually quite hard to, Oh, you could do that probably with your, well, if you have expertise. the right flat, well, can I just, can I brag? What we used to do is we would, we would fill a five gallon bucket with cracked eggs. So the night before uh. We would, but I have, I am able to take one egg in each hand, right and left simultaneously crack both, split them, toss the shells. No shells will be in that bucket, five pounds. And then you just like load up your blacktop, you know, uh, move them around off next batch on, you know, like that. (laughs) That is the, that is the skill that I've never had the uh, uh, cojones really to pick up. (laughs) <laughs> and, and when I went, when I like worked in this kitchen, I was like, they were like, come on, do that faster. And I'm like, Hey, <laughs> um, it, be, it became a, a, a point of pride. I'm going to let you go so yes. I can really eat these cheesy crackers. Yeah, seriously. Um, I, I will say to you, uh, thank you so much for being a guest on. There's a lot to talk about. There appears to be a lot happening. I, I want to ask you one quick question is yeah. I leave, I leave this conversation with you as a, a civilian a little uh, downtrodden, a little concerned that maybe things aren't going to happen. And I, I would like, is there some reassurance that justice will be done that you can offer? Me? Well, I think there's assurance that we will know what happened. I think there's assurance that we will have the facts behind this, particularly because of the January 6th committee and that history will cast its judgment. I think it is very, I think it is very likely that the January 6th committee's findings are devastating to Donald Trump. Now, whether that will impact him politically or not, who knows? Um, I think it is very likely that there will be a hefty civil suit brought by the New York State Attorney General, Letitia James. I think it is very much an open question. I lean towards unlikely that Donald Trump gets charged criminally for all of this. And by the way, if he does get charged, you still got to convict him, right? And that is, you're going to need a unanimous jury. So, you know, you're in the state of Georgia or even New York, that's never an easy thing that a prosecutor can never take for granted. So, so I think there will be, I think we will know what happened. I think there will be some forms of transparency, but I think what everyone really cares about is, will he be charged criminally? That I think is somewhere between unlikely and very unlikely, but we don't know. We don't know. 
Fair enough. Thank you for that honest answer. I'm going to eat some cheese crackers and I yes. thank you so much for being on and I hope you'll come on and maybe we'll make a big vat of brownies or something That was like that. that was really fun. Thank you. Yes. Next time I want sweet Sweet, sweet. <laughs> We're doing sweet for you. <laughs> and you will succeed and your oven will care and listen to you. So exactly. Thank you. thank you, Marissa. And it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you especially to Ellie Honig for being my guest this week. Please, if you would, follow me on Twitter at Marissa Rothkopf and subscribe to my Substack newsletter. Touch your dog. Take a nap and definitely bake cheesy biscuits. The recipe for you can find on my Substack. So thank you so much. Have a great week. And I look forward to hearing from you via Twitter. 